This morning, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We concluded our series on the minor prophets. And just as we sang in that last verse of the song that we just concluded with about Jesus building his church, uh, this is what we're going to focus on in the next four weeks. Uh, Really, the question, why are we doing what are we doing here as the church, the body of Christ, um, here specifically at Discovery Alliance Church? And so we'll look at that over the next four weeks. My question for you is, why do you do what you do in your life? What is your purpose for life? What is your mission in life? What is it that wakes you up in the morning to go out and do what you plan to do? Or some of you, because it's the new year, you set out some goals for the year, some New Year's resolutions, if you want to say. Uh, What is it that drives you to put those things down that you want to achieve that? Uh, Again, the question we have to ask is, why are we doing what are we doing? Why are we here on Sunday morning? Uh, Why do we have small groups during the week? Why are you here is the question for you to ask the mission statement. And we could have a talk on another day whether you really need mission statements or not. But uh, you'll see in many businesses, you'll have a mission statement that we exist to do this. The mission statement here at Discovery Alliance uh, Church is to know Christ and to make him known. Uh, Nothing that we just came up with out of the blue. That's a great statement. It's really, we'll follow over the next few weeks uh, what the Word of God tells us to do if we call ourselves a Christian or a follower of Christ. But to really understand this, we need to know the first part, which is to know Christ. What does it mean to know Christ? And if I went through and I asked each of you different questions, what does it mean to know Christ? Possibly you might have the same answer, but uh, most likely there would be some variation in that. And that's why we want to uh, come to some understanding. And we'll look at Matthew chapter 13 this morning. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, the Scriptural truth, the main point we see from the text is this. The condition of the heart determines the reception of the gospel and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. This parable is recorded not only in Matthew 13, but you can read it in the gospel according to Mark, in Mark chapter 4. You can also read it in Luke chapter, I believe, chapter 8. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record these teachings of Jesus, the life of Christ, And uh, you can read these other um, writers that will uh, help us with the understanding. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. I'll read verses 1 through 9, and then I will read verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty. And again, we're blessed because we have the words of God our Lord and Savior, that we can read and by the power of the Holy Spirit understand. And that's what our heart's desire is. So Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word, that we would have understanding. Holy Spirit, work upon our hearts. And Jesus, thank you for teaching us. We bless your name. Amen. So if you look at the parable, uh, Jesus will teach and use parables. And if a parable... Um, has no understanding, then it's really just kind of like a riddle. But when you read the parables that Jesus gives, these stories, or he speaks of something that would be familiar to the audience, he gives understanding as well. And the main thing is there is a teaching point. Uh, here in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus gives seven different parables. And in this, he explains this one for us to look to. There are other ones that he will do parables, he gives them, and he doesn't give any explanation, and we'll understand today as we look at this um, why he does that. Uh, this is along the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has uh, come out of the house they've been at for the night. He comes along the shoreline. There's crowds that are following him. If you've not read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll see there's a crowd that builds and follows him, and they at times are pressing in on him. So he's along the shoreline, a crowd comes, and as a teacher of that time would, he sits down. But the crowd grows so large that he has to get in a boat on the shore, and they had to push off shore a ways so that the crowd can all hear him. And as he does that, he begins to tell them uh, this parable or this story that has a meaning. In verse 3, it says, a sower went out to sow. In, the, in the, the Sea of Galilee, the shorelines there, if the people looked, and that possibly was happening even as Jesus said this, there's much farmland along the Sea of Galilee. There was a lot of uh, harvest that is done there, and so they could have been looking in a field. Jesus could have been pointing and saying, the sower, and what you have is a sower or a farmer. Much different than today when you jump in your large uh, John Deere satellite-controlled uh, machine and spread all the seed, uh, maybe even plowing it under before that. Uh, you have a farmer who has a bag that he hangs over his shoulder, and as he walks along, he reaches into the bag a certain measured amount of seed, and he casts the seed out onto the soil where he wants to grow um, the plants. And he says here, there's a, a pathway, a hardened path that's along the uh, side of these fields. And when you look at pictures and you see these fields along the Sea of Galilee, you'll see a path that is hardened and it's well-worn by people and animals. 
And so he's casting the seed, and there's some seed that falls on the hard ground. Even the seed cannot penetrate it, and the evil enemies come along. Those birds for all you farmers out there who try to steal up your, not only your seed, but also your fruit, and they want to eat it. The bird comes along, picks up that seed off the hard path, and takes it away. Then he says there's some seed that falls on the rocky ground. Now, the word there can mean a soil with a lot of rocks, but when you look at the Sea of Galilee and what the farmers dealt with is even after pulling the rocks out of their fields, there's a lot of limestone under the soil, large uh, pieces of limestone that sit under just at a shallow level with just a little bit of soil. Possibly what happens here is the seed falls in that soil. It begins to spring up immediately because the roots grow down. There's no water. And so the plant grows up looking for water, and as it grows up, the sun comes out, and what happens to the plant? Dries up, and what happens? It dies. It withers away. Some of the seed then, he goes along and falls on what's called the thorny ground, or this ground that has some weeds in it. Again, another enemy for you who like to plant uh, flowers or gardens. Uh, There is right outside of our door this planter, which for the last two years, I don't know if it's a weed, but it looks like some type of uh, vine with ivy, and the thing is so annoying. Tiny bit of water, that thing just grows everywhere. These nice flowers that we plant, I'm waiting for them to grow up, and I look, and this vine is wound around these plants trying to kill it, soaking up all of the moisture, and as much as you pull it out, it still shows up much like the weeds that grow up, these thorny uh, plants. And they grow up, they block out the sun from the good seed plant. Uh, They also choke out the plant. They soak up all the moisture. And so what you have is a seed that uh, gets choked out and it also dies after it begins to grow. But there is some hope here because there's the good soil. The farmer casts some of the seed. After landing on these other three, it lands in the good soil. Soil that's possibly been plowed by him. Soil that probably was weeded by him. And that seed goes under the surface. It begins to grow. The roots grow down to seek out the water. And this plant not only grows, but it does what? Does what? Produces fruit. It says there was a harvest. A harvest uh, that when Jesus explains the harvest, when it says 30, 60, or 100-fold, is like unbelievable that, to that audience. To have a 100-fold harvest, that is impossible. To have a 60-fold or a 30-fold, I mean a huge bumper crop, Jesus is saying this is something amazing that is happening here. And then here's the key. Look at verse 9. In your Bibles, on your phones, whatever, highlight it, underline it, circle it, put a big old stamp there, print it out, set it somewhere to think about during this week. Jesus' words, which he uses multiple times in the gospel accounts, when he's teaching, he says this, he who has ears, let him what? Hear. Hear. Have anyone of you ever had someone say to you, are you listening to me? Some of you said, well, that happened in the car on the way here this morning. And I have to give a reckoning on the way home. Maybe you heard this term, in one ear and what? Out the other. 
Again, there's this problem I think that some of us have called mind drift and you're listening to someone and they're having a conversation with you and all of a sudden you're listening or you're hearing a voice but your mind goes, man, I got to make sure I do this and this and oh, I want to put that on a reminder but I think that'd be rude right now. Uh, You're listening to them. They're like pouring out their day about how bad work was and your mind is elsewhere because you're hungry. And you're like, man, I can't wait to have that nice bowl of chili when I get home. I hope they hurry up and stop with their discussion. Or maybe you are, uh, I don't know, you get home, you're tired, family members talking to you, and your mind goes, I just want to go lay down and take a nap. And then they say, are you listening to me? Yes, yes. And have you heard enough words that you can say some key things to get out of it? But really, you're not really tuned in. And this is this picture that we might have some different definitions of hearing and listening. And we use those interchangeably. But here when it says to hear, it means to have this attentive hearing or listening and understanding. So some of you uh, have uh, learned this uh, in relationships. Someone is speaking to you, and you stop, and you say, I hear you saying this. Is that correct? That's active listening. That's good listening. That's hearing what the person is communicating. And they'll say, no, that's not really correct. Or, yeah, you you understand what I'm saying. This is this picture of what we are to do. Uh, Last December, our family went to listen to uh, the Missoula City uh, Band Orchestra, and as we were listening, I love listening to uh, bands, orchestras, um, growing up, playing instruments, and I said to my son, do you hear that clarinet? And he's like, what clarinet? What do you mean? And the whole band's playing, whatever. Well, I played clarinet for a while, so I know what a good clarinet sounds like, but that sounds beautiful. And then there's this other part, I'm like, do you hear those trombones just playing right now? And he's like, what do you mean, trombones? You see, he hadn't learned what a trombone just sounds like by itself. He had not tuned in or listened to just what a clarinet sounds like. So all he hears is just the big symphony, the band, just playing together. And this picture, when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, it's like just hearing all this, but really he wants you to tune in and hear the message that he has for you so that it would not just go in one ear and out the other, but it would impact your heart and as a seed grow and produce a crop This week, I want you to read verses 10 through 17, because in verses 10 through 17, Jesus does what he does uh, in uh, the other gospel accounts at other times. He tells the disciples why he uses parables, and he actually says, you are blessed if you understand them, because in verses 10 through 17, he says he uses parables because the people who are listening, the people who are hearing In the Gospel uh, of Mark, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, To you, he speaks to the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. You see, he's teaching this crowd, and he stops and he tells his disciples, here's why I'm doing this. You guys understand, and you're blessed if you understand. And he quotes uh, uh, Isaiah the prophet. But what he makes clear is those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when they read these parables, they can have understanding because the Holy Spirit of God gives them understanding. But for those who don't have faith in Jesus, those who are not Christians, those who are not followers of Christ, they don't have the Holy Spirit to give them understanding. 
So when you read the parables, you may read one, you may read chapter 13 and you see the parable of the weeds or you see the parable of the mustard seed uh, and the leaven. You're like, well, what does this mean? You should pray as you read and say, Lord, would you teach me from this? Holy Spirit, help me understand this. And you know what? God, the Holy Spirit, gives you understanding for your growth and for benefit of walking in his ways. Let's look at verses 18 through 23. This is the part we want to get to here. Jesus, in this account, gives his disciples and the crowd and says, here's what the parable, I always have called it sower, parable of the sower for forever. And then I thought, wait, this is not about the sower, it's about the soil. So he says, hey, let me give you understanding here. So the second point is the parable explained. Look at verses 18 through 23. Verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. The word hear there, as we were just talking about, hearing and listening, the word here that Jesus uses, it means to comprehend or understand. So he says, understand the parable of the sower. Understand the story that I'm telling you about this farmer. And he says, the sower, uh, again, is this farmer. And you ask, well, who is the sower? Someone right away will say, well, that's Jesus. He's the sower. Well, yes, if you read on in the chapter, it speaks of him as this one who sows the good seed. So, yes, it's Jesus. But also, Mark chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says, the sower sows the word. So that's not only Jesus, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been saved by that good word, which we'll look at here, the gospel of Jesus. And as you are living your life, you are a sower. The question is, really, are you sowing seed or not? But you are to be a sower of God's word. This is why we do what we do here at Discovery Alliance Church. And even without the church building here or the church entity, you as a Christian, the church of Jesus, that you are to be a sower of the word. The seed here, he says in verse 19, is the word of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, uh, it says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Now you need to know this, the seed is good. I remember hearing some farmers one time talk about getting some seed that was bad. This is not the account in what Jesus is talking about. The seed is not bad, and that's why you have the ones that grow up and die and all this. The seed is good, and the seed is good because it is the word of God. In John chapter 1, it talks about the Word of God. Let me ask you this. Who is the Word of God? Who? Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And it talks about, and it goes on, that this is Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. So as the Word of God is sown, specifically what Jesus talks about in these parables and teaches is about the kingdom of God. And even more specifically, it's the good news and the good news about Jesus. And so if I asked you to turn to the person next to you and say, well, what's the good news? Hopefully the person next to you would say, well, hey, here is what the good news means. Here is what this seed is. Here is the word of the kingdom. But as I asked our men's study on Thursday morning here, uh, what is the gospel? I find that many Christians don't know what the gospel is. They don't know what the good news is. And so you'll say, well, tell me what the good news is. If you're going to tell someone else, tell me, what would you tell them the good news? Well, some people say, uh, it's the Bible. 
Okay, well, the good news is in the Bible, but that's not the Bible. That's not the, I mean, that's not the gospel. What is it? Well, um, you push them some more. They're like, uh, it's Jesus. Hey, you're getting close. Jesus, yes, is God. He's also fully man. There's some work that he did, but that's not the gospel. What does the Bible tell us the gospel is? The Apostle Paul in chapter one, uh, 15 of 1 Corinthians says that the good news, what you've been saved by, what you stand on, is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And not only did he die on the cross for our sins, if you stop there, that's not the gospel. That's a piece of the good news. But it says that he was, and it says according to scripture, so he's fulfilling prophecy. And then it says he was buried. So when you read the accounts after he died on the cross, they took him down, they wrapped him up, buried, and put him in a tomb. And then it says on the third day, he what? He rose again. He came back from death to life. And it says, according to Scripture. And Paul says, you've been saved by that because you believe in it. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the work to save anyone was done by him, and we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. This is good news. I mean, church, what if you came in today and I gave you a book and said, follow every chapter, do every assignment, do all of these things, cross your T's, dot your I's, and then at the end of the book, we'll give you a certificate and you're saved and you'll go to heaven. You'd say that was ridiculous. But yet, look at the religions of the world. Every religion in this world presents to mankind that you must do something because you're not good enough. And even if you do that stuff, you still may not make it in. So after you die, you still have to do more stuff. Or after you die, you come back and you're a dung beetle, so you need to work hard in the dung so that you can come back to something later, and on and on. And I know we laugh about these things, but you need to know this is life and death issue. This is serious in our world. I look around the room, we have children in our room. Our children in this room are being raised in a sense, not only in our homes, but what the world presents to them. And so the world presents false things that are not true. They need to hear the good news, just like you and I do. And not only one time, but we need to hear the good news every day for the fruitfulness in our life. Amen. And one of the other problems is not only is there false things that are being taught, too many Christian churches abandon the fact that God's word, the seed, the gospel is good enough, that it's sufficient enough. And so what happens is many churches will do this. We're going to teach you some of the Bible, but also some self-help stuff that goes with it to help you. And also, we're going to add some psychology on top of this as well, because if you have these things, then um, you'll be saved. Oh, and let's entertain people as well. It's something that plagues churches. There is a great temptation to think like, oh, I don't want to talk about hell because we're going to offend people. I just want to talk about the love of God. We can't mention that they're sinners. And all that does is adds to people and says, you know what? Yeah, you do need Jesus, but you need to believe this, and that equals salvation. And I'll tell you this, that's, that's Jesus plus works, and that means that equals nothing. Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus Christ equals salvation. 
Jesus Christ is salvation for those who believe in him through faith alone. So really, this issue, we'll look at these four soils. The parable is the parable of the soils, not the parable of the sower, because Jesus sows the word, and if you're a follower of Christ, you sow the word, but it's really about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. And so look here at verse 19. This, there's four soils that are mentioned here in the remaining verses. And the, Jesus says to hear and have understanding. And so the first one is the hard soil. The hard soil, there's no fruit that comes from it. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Who is the evil one? People are like, can we say Satan in church? <laughs> Satan. The Bible says Satan, Lucifer, the evil one. Jesus says he's a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar, the father of lies. It says this picture of the hard heart. This is a person who hears the word of God. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they don't understand it. There's no living by it. There's no application in their life. Really, they're described like the nation of Israel, being stiff-necked, stubborn people, hardened hearts to the word of God, a heart that is hardened by their sinfulness. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Their heart is so hard, there is no room for understanding. They don't understand the word of God whatsoever because they can't understand. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes this in verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. You see, God's revealed himself to all of mankind just even through creation. And it goes on, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. That means every single one of us, all mankind, are without excuse. God reveals himself to all mankind, so there is no excuse if a person does not believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They begin to worship creation. They begin to worship themselves instead of God. Verse 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The hard heart on the path, the good word lands, Jesus is saying this is a person who is not saved. This is a person who is not a Christian. This is pers a person who is not a follower of God. In the evenings on Sunday nights this month, we're, and next month we're going through the book of 1 John on the far right side of the Bible. And John writes this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says, By this is it, is it, it is evident who are the children of God. 
And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is one of many passages of Scripture that tell us who is a follower of Jesus and really who is a follower of Satan. Just as the bird took the seed away and Jesus says this is Satan taking the seed away, that, per, I mean, that person away, this is the picture of the hard soil. Is your heart the hard soil this morning? The second one is the rocky soil. Look at, look at verse 20 through 21 back at the text in Matthew 13. The rocky soil he says this, as for you, verse 20, was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who, what? Hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in, in himself. You go, well, hey, there's a response. The plant begins to grow. There's actual joy. <clears throat> Again, the key here, though, there's no fruit. This person hears the gospel of Jesus. There's an emotional response of joyfulness the person is receptive, but as you see, as it's choked out, the roots never grow down. There is no um, fruit or harvest that comes from this. This may be a person who has a very tough moment in their life, an emotional point in their life, and someone shares the gospel with them. Or they go to an event and they hear someone preaching and they go, well, I want to go to heaven and I want to be saved. And they may have some response and maybe you have met people like this and they're all excited about Jesus or whatever and they came forward at an event or they prayed a prayer or all these things. I want to be with Jesus. Um, but it's for a time, as Jesus says in verse 21. They endure for a time. They hear, but really don't understand. Because again, Jesus says the hearing or the understanding of it is shown up in the good soil, which produces fruit and a harvest. It says in verse 21, Jesus says, But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he or she falls away. The sun comes up, the problems of the world... People think, well, if I just come to Jesus, everything's going to be good in my life. And they realize that someone lied to them or they believe something that was not true. The promise for the person who's saved is eternal life with Christ. Wonderful, joyful things. And that as we walk this earth, he will guide us and direct us. But Jesus never promised his disciples that while they live on this earth, there would not be trouble. And so you look around this world and you see Christians in other countries who are dying because they believe they're a, because they believe, say they believe in Jesus Christ and they're a follower of him and they die for the name of Christ. And then there's others who, when someone says, wait, you're a Christian? You went to that revival thing? Wait, what did you do? And all of a sudden it's like, well, they go, they turn away. Or maybe you even saw them come and they got baptized at a church and they're like, where are they today? There's no fruitfulness. There's no harvest. They've never followed Jesus since the day they prayed a prayer. And so, again, there's no problem with that. Praying a prayer, walking forward at something, uh, at a crusade, a revival, whatever. People are saved as they profess faith in Christ. Yes, some of you in here can say, yes, I went forward at a thing. I prayed a prayer of salvation. I believed in Jesus. But here's the problem, as I said last week. A prayer or going forward, or doing something that looks Christian religiously, or whatever, will not save you and can actually bring a false assurance. That's why we trust the Holy Spirit working the gospel upon our heart. 
But what Jesus describes here is someone who's excited about Jesus for a minute, for a minute, a moment, and a time. Trouble rises and they turn away. Again, the key. Rocky soil, there's no fruit. Hard soil, no fruit. Go to the third one, the thorny soil. Thorny soil, is there any fruit? No fruit. You, all of us need to read John chapter 15 this week. John chapter 15 is key to understanding the parable of the sower. Because in John chapter 15, he describes a branch, fruit, the vine, and he says, only those who abide in Jesus, who have life in Jesus, produce fruit. And all who do not abide in Jesus, they do not produce fruit. And therefore, if they do not produce fruit, he says the branches will be gathered up and burned in the fire. Again, pointing out Jesus' descriptions of those who believe in him, who have faith in him, who follow him, will be with him for eternity in a new heavens and a new earth. And for all who are apart from Christ, who don't have faith in Christ, they will be gathered up. They will stand in judgment before him, and their punishment is hell for eternity. The thorny soil. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves it unfruitful. Again, positive response. They hear the good news. <clears throat> Person gives some type of response. But they don't have understanding that Jesus describes at the beginning of the parable about hearing and understanding and living by it. Things are, too, are, are more important to them. They want Jesus, but then they also want their status in life, their job, the good job, the school, the, degree, the, the degrees that they get from schools. Um, and what happens is they can believe the lie, as it's warning here, the deceitfulness of riches. If I just made a little bit more, if I just had a greater retirement, if I could just buy that place to live in, if I could have this vehicle, and what happens is that becomes the driving force in their life. There's a, a young man who was a wealthy man who came, who came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I mean, how many people have you seen this where they want to follow Jesus, they're excited, they heard about eternal life, they want him, and Jesus said to the young man, he's like, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Another verse Jesus says. What did the young man do? He went away. Sad. He didn't go do and sell and get rid of his riches. He believed that that was what would fuel his life. And so as is warned here, the deceitfulness of riches choked the word. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our family was looking at some of the entries to the uh, county fair this summer coming up, and we like to make things and enter them in the fairs. And you can, yeah, you can get a ribbon or whatever, or maybe you make uh, five bucks or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
But there's some of these categories are, are interesting when you think of what this verse says. Things we treasure. And yet they have categories. If you have something that's at least 30 years old and it's looking all rusty and all these things, like, hey, bring that, you know, let's, let's reminisce. I mean, to think about what we invest our money in today because we're like, I must have this. It brings lots of joy. I want all these things. I'm going to be happy about it. And then it falls apart. I remember as a freshman in high school, I wanted a pair of Air Jordans. All my friends had them. I was like, I want Air Jordans, but I'm like, wow, that's kind of expensive. And I was all excited a year later because it was like they had the new Air Jordans and we found a place that you could get last year's Air Jordans two for the price of one. I'm like, dude, I'm buying them. And I had a red, red pair and a blue pair. It's amazing. Something you treasure. And then it's like months later, it's like, dude, this one's falling apart. I thought these were supposed to be Air Jordans. Supposed to dunk, you know, it's like the things that we invest our life, our time, our talents, our energy. I mean, think about this. If you want to know what your heart chases after, here's three things to examine your life. All your gifts and strengths and abilities, what are you doing with those? Because God's given them to you. Number two, look at your time. Where do you commit all your time or the most of your time? That will tell you where your heart is after. And number three, dare look at your bank account and your wallet. Where do you spend your money? You look at those three things, your talents, your time, and your money, it will give you a possibly good picture of where your heart is. And here, the thorny soil is being choked out by the things of the world. It says it proves unfruitful. And, and I'll say this, there is no such thing, according to Jesus, as a fruitless Christian. A Christian will always produce fruit, now, the amounts will vary, just like the last verse in this, but a Christian who abides in Christ will produce fruit because Christ is the one who, who produces the fruit in us as we seek after him. Now, one more thing before we look at the good soil and then bring this to a close. Some people believe that this soil in the thorns here, and maybe even the last one on the rocks, is a person who became a Christian at one time and then they lost their salvation. Some people believe that this is someone who became a Christian and then they decided one day, I'm done with Jesus, and they walk away from him. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says this of his people. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand now tonight at five o'clock we're going to look at a key word in first john chapter two verse one and two a world propitiation and i told the group do some homework so you got a few hours if you're coming this evening go look at propitiation Go read 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But if you think about this, if Jesus Christ has died for his people and he has shed his blood for their sins and he saves his people and he's holy and just, how can a completely just God then send someone to hell who he saved because supposedly they turned their back on him, rejected him. You no longer have a just God. 
Jesus is completely holy. He's completely just. That's why he goes out of the way in the parable to say the first three soils, there's no fruit. Only the good soil, there's fruit. And John chapter 15 tells us that only the good soil, the Christian, the follower of Christ, will produce fruit. And everyone else, there's no fruit. It's a picture of these other three soils. Now, I know that there are people that will argue with me about what I believe that this says in this text. But hold on for a second and look at verse 23. The fourth and final soil is the good soil. As for what was going... Yeah, yay, I like that. We, want, we like the good soil. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears what? Fruit. And yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And you say, good soil, hold on. I was reading scripture this week. How is that possible? Because Romans chapter 3 tells me that no one does good. The Apostle Paul writes in other letters in regards to that. Adam, when he sinned in the garden, that that's passed down to us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How is it possible then that anyone would have good soil? Because when I read this, it looks like, well, that person, this, this, and this. And it's like, wait. Well, Scripture is clear. There is no good soil in any heart of anyone in all of mankind unless God does the plowing and the work by the power of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. Jesus Christ said in the book of John that the Holy Spirit is sent to convict the world of sin. He must leave so that the Holy Spirit of God would convict us of sin. There is no reason why any of us would want to be in the good soil or even think we've done anything bad unless the Holy Spirit of God convicts our heart and we go, oh, oh, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against God. And as the gospel is preached to you, as it's declared from your friend or your family member or at church or wherever, you go, that's me. I need Jesus. Amen. You see, God's doing a work to make the heart the good soil so that the seed of the gospel goes in, springs forth, and produces fruit. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to a man, no one can see the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13 is all about the kingdom of heaven. Most of all of his parables are about the kingdom of heaven. John 3 says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And being born again is not some work we do. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. As he goes on and explains in John chapter 3. And so God does this work. When you believe in faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he saves you, he justifies you, you're forgiven of all of your sins. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and begins to work in your life from that moment until the day of your death or the day, that, the day that Christ returns. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this. This is important. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my what? Disciples. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. A Christian bears fruit, and that fruit, as Jesus says, bears evidence of being a follower of Christ. A 
Colossians 1, verse 10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. For all who believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's Savior, that He did all the work that was ever needed to save us from our sins, that He died, that He rose again from death to life, those who believe that Jesus is Lord and God, according to the Word of God, is saved. We're told to repent of our sins and believe. We're told to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that believe in our heart that He was raised from death to life. Again, there's no checklist. It's a work of God upon your heart so that He gets all the glory. And so what I would tell you is two things that would be close. If you've been hearing the Word of God this morning, we were just singing before we started this, Speak, O Lord. If God's been speaking to your heart and you found yourself in the hard path, the rocky path, the thorny path, but today something different, and you're understanding, and God's moving your heart, praise the Lord. Today's the day of salvation. I don't care how you say it. You can say, Lord, forgive me of my sins today. Come into my heart. Save me. Then say that. But it has nothing to do with what you do. It's Him saving you. And so call out to God. If you want to come forward and we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you. If you want to be led, say, hey, I need to pray a prayer. Then great, wonderful. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit of God upon your heart. And if you are a follower of Christ... You should be praying during this time. One, for fruitfulness. Because we'll look at in the next few weeks, you are to be a sower. You are to sow the word. You don't have one seed and God's saying, okay, I'm going to throw it over here. I'm waiting for the right moment. No, he's giving you the good word and you're supposed to sow the seed constantly. And as, as that goes out, God does a work. Church, would you pray for fruitfulness in our lives? Would you pray for fruitfulness in this gathering here at Discovery Alliance Church? Would you pray for fruitfulness as a seed goes out in Missoula that people would respond and believe? Would you pray that the seed would fall on good soil that God has worked upon and the Holy Spirit would give understanding they would believe? There's always so many more things that we can look at. There's always something more in God's word, which I'm thankful that we have that. But I've been praying this week. For some of you, this is a very familiar parable, but you would grow in your understanding. And so let's pray now as the worship team comes up. And as we pray, um, would you pray for those who find themselves in the other soils to come to faith? Would you pray that there would be those in the good soil to produce fruitfulness? And would you pray that uh, the Lord would continue to give us understanding? Heavenly Father, we confess to you that without uh, you working in our lives, that we find ourselves among the three soils that would never produce fruit. 
Father, we praise you that you've worked in our lives. You've tilled the soil of our hearts to make it good. Your Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sins and you've led us to the cross. And Jesus, we believe in you. Our faith is in you alone. And so we ask that you would cause our lives to produce fruit in abundance. And Father, some of us have felt that the harvest and the fruit has been little lately. Holy Spirit, would you work in us that we would produce a great abundance of fruit for your glory. And Father, for all who have come to this place, for all who are listening to my voice, who have heard your word and the Holy Spirit speak to them, and today is the day that you're calling them to salvation, I pray that you would lead them to the cross and that they would believe in Jesus and be saved. Father, as we sing this song, create in me a clean heart, oh God, would you do that in our hearts today for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.